1888, uh, the French artist William Bouguereau, he painted a piece called The First Morning. And uh, here's a picture of that uh, painting, if you want to put it up there. And uh, this painting envisions the moment when Adam and Eve find their son Abel dead. When they find Abel dead at the hands of their other son, Cain. And I spent about 20 minutes staring at this painting this week, and it is a brilliant piece. First, you have the altar in the background. So you see that white arrow? I added that if you want to go to the white arrow up top where the the altar is. And then, secondly, you have the blood on the ground that is crying out before God. It's screaming out to God for justice. And then you have Adam and Eve mourning the loss of their two sons, their pride and joy. You also see the grief of a father. You have Adam holding his heart, realizing that it was his son Cain who killed Abel. And so what we see from the very beginning is that sin does not just impact one person. It doesn't just impact the one who sins. It disrupts and disorders everything that it touches. Genesis chapter 3 ends with Adam and Eve leaving paradise because of their sin. And chapter 4 begins by demonstrating what life outside of the garden is going to be like. What will life outside of paradise be like? What will life in a fallen world be like? And I was struck this week by how simple and significant the story is. It takes 30 seconds to understand the story, and yet it provides a lifetime of insight into, into human nature. That as we study this passage, we're going to see parts of Cain that are also in us. And so we're going to jump in this morning by looking at three scenes. And these three scenes will move us through our text. Scene number one is joy and wonder. Joy and wonder. Chapter four begins with a sense of unexpected joy. Verse one says, the man was intimate with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, I'm sure Adam, at this point, is wondering, what is going to come out of my wife? What is going to come out of her? Because Adam and Eve had never seen a baby. But the moment they saw Cain, they were overwhelmed with joy, flooded with joy. And see, having children, it is a miracle. And the miracle is often lost on us. We don't recognize what is happening when a child is born, when a child is conceived and comes into the world. It is a miracle. It is a new human being created in the image of God. And this miracle was not lost on Eve. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She recognized that she needed supernatural help from God. It's not just Adam and Eve that she needed. They needed supernatural help from God in order to create this new image bearer. And whenever a child is born, you sense new potential. You wonder, what will this little person become? Who will they become? What will they do? And almost certainly Adam and Eve would have had a special hope for Cain because of what God said to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where God tells Eve, Eve, you're going to have a child and this child will crush the head of the serpent. At this point, Adam and Eve are feeling the effects of sin in a fallen world and so I'm sure Adam and Eve wondered, will Cain be the one to crush the head of the serpent and set us free from the bondage of sin. The problem is that Cain was born of Adam, just like we are all born of Adam. We are born with a sinful nature. Adam was born, or I'm I'm sorry, Abel was born with a sinful nature, Cain was born with a sinful nature, and all of us, we are born with a sinful nature. And it's hard to see that sometimes with kids when they come out, they're just so cute, they're so precious. 
And everyone knows that kids are not perfect, that kids make mistakes. Uh, one little boy was asked the question. Uh, here's, the, here's the question, if you want to put that picture up. This is at the end of the year. What will you remember most about kindergarten? And this is his answer. He said, we did meth. And um, <clears throat> now obviously he means math, but he made a spelling mistake, and this is what kids do. This is what we do. We make mistakes. But our sinful nature is more than just making mistakes. To error is human. But we do more than make mistakes. We sin. And we sin because we are fallen. We are fallen. We have fallen into sin because of the rebellion of our first parents. And we are this way from birth. I saw a video this week of two little boys that captures, I think, part of what is wrong with us as, as human beings. And so if you want to play the video here. Look at me. You can have fruit snacks, but you can't have them right now, okay? You gotta wait. You gotta wait until mommy and daddy come back, okay? You can't eat these yet. You gotta wait until we come back. I'm gonna leave them right here. Don't touch them. Wait, okay? We're gonna come back. Don't eat them yet. Don't eat them. We'll be right back. We just gotta go get something. Just go, just wait a second. <laughs> See, we, we know how to disobey before we know how to speak. We know how to disobey when we are still in diapers. Now, with those two little boys, there's a measure of innocence. How much do they understand? And they were kind of set up by their parents in that situation. But this is, this is part of who we are. Our sinful tendencies go all the way to the bottom of our souls. And we see this with Cain, that not only will Cain not crush the head of the serpent, he will crush the head of his brother. That the per first person born in human history will not redeem the world from sin, but will sin by committing murder. And so the story begins with joy and wonder, but this optimism quickly moves downhill to scene number two, which is worship and offerings. Worship and offerings. From the very beginning, worship and offerings, sacrifices, are distorted. We see this with Cain and Abel. In verse two, there seems to be an appointed time where Cain and Abel were to appear before the Lord to worship him. In other words... Cain and Abel go to church, just like all of us here this morning. All of us, we have come to worship the Lord. We have come to church, this religious setting where God is to be focused on and adored and praised. We have all come to church this morning. Verse 3, Cain presented an offering to the Lord, produce from the ground. Abel, verse 4 says, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. Now, Cain and Abel, they grew up in the same home, in the, in the exact same environment, same parents. They lived in the same place. They had the same sinful nature. They likely worked together on the same farm. They both showed up for worship. They both present offerings to the Lord, and God rejects Cain, but accepts Abel. And this teaches us from the very beginning that God is not satisfied with all forms of worship. That we cannot worship God however we want to worship God. Some worship is pleasing to God, and there is another type of worship that God hates. That we are not allowed to worship God however we want to worship God. 
that we must come to the Lord on his terms. Verse four, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. To have regard here means to gaze at, that God looked at Cain and he looked at his offering and he accepted it. But he didn't even look, I'm sorry, he looked at Abel and he had regard for Abel. He looked at Abel, he looked at his offering and he accepted it. But he didn't even look at Cain and he didn't even look at his offering. And so the question we need to answer is the question, why? Why does God reject Cain but accept Abel? Well, Genesis chapter 4 does not explain to us why God rejects Cain but accepts Abel. But the New Testament helps us quite a bit. It gives us several reasons. First, Cain did not trust God. So what's wrong with Cain's worship? He did not trust God. Verse 4, or Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. So Abel's offering was better than Cain's because Abel came by faith. He came by faith. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts even though he is dead. He still speaks through his faith. So if you could take an x-ray on Abel's heart, you would have seen genuine faith. The eyes of his heart went to the Lord. He was trusting in the Lord. But Cain, if you did an x-ray on Cain's heart, you would see he was not trusting the Lord at all. See, faith is the basis by which we draw near to God. You cannot draw near to God without faith. You cannot please God without faith. You cannot know God without faith. Ken Matthew says, both giver and gift were under the scrutiny of God. Both giver and gift were under the scrutiny of God. God is not just looking at what you bring. He is looking at your very heart. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you trusting Christ? It is so easy to come to church and miss God altogether. We miss God because we show up preoccupied with a thousand other things going on. We're thinking about our past week. We're thinking about what we're going to do today. And we just kind of go through the motions. And I just want to say, because I love you, that that type of worship does not please God. He is looking for a heart that is set on him, that sees the Lord, that believes God, that we are to draw near by faith. So Cain... He did not draw near by faith. He was not trusting God. Secondly, Cain was evil. He was evil. He had no faith in God. He had no righteous deeds before God because he was of the evil one. 1 John 3, for this is the message we have heard from the beginning. So John goes all the way back to the beginning. He says we should love one another. All the way back, God's design from the very beginning is that we would love one another. Unlike Cain, now, did you see this? I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this before. Unlike Cain, who went to church, who was of the evil one. He was of the devil and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So Cain was committing evil long before he murdered his brother. And he was content in his sin, no desire to repent at all, no desire to change at all. He was self-satisfied. He was of the devil. We see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there are two types of offspring. There's the offspring of the woman. Those are the people of God, the offspring of the woman. And then there's the offspring of the serpent. These are, those, uh, these are the people who do not belong to God, who are in the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. And all of us, when we are born, we are not born into the kingdom of light. We're born into the kingdom of darkness. We're born with a fallen nature. We're born bent and intent on sin. And so Cain is born and he is bent towards evil. To be a Christian, 
is to be rescued from the dominion of darkness, that God, by his grace, transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. But Cain was content to live in darkness. And so God rejected Cain's offering. And we see a hint of his pride in verse 5. But he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious. That's his response. If God did not accept your offering, you would think, you would ask the question, okay, um, what did I do wrong here, God? You would think you would humble yourself, but he does not humble himself. He was furious. He was angry at God, and he looked despondent. The word furious here in the Hebrew means to glow with anger, to glow with anger. Literally, he has a hot face. His face is burning. His countenance is burning. He is not a humble man. The third reason God rejected Cain in his offering is that Cain did not bring a blood offering. He did not bring a blood sacrifice. Now, there is a little bit of speculation on this third point, but I think it is biblically sound. That Cain's heart was wrong. The posture of his heart was wrong. He was not trusting Christ. He was not obeying the Lord, and his offering was wrong as well. In verse 3, Cain presented the first or some of the fruits and vegetables of his crop from the ground. But Abel presented the best of his livestock. And see, I believe that Cain brought the sacrifice he wanted to bring. I say this because of verse 7. This is what the Lord says to him. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Implying Cain, you know, you know that what you're doing is wrong. Just do what is right. You know that what you're doing is wrong. Do what is right. You know that you can't come to me on your own terms. You know you're a sinner. You know you need a substitute to die in your place. Your mom and dad, they were clothed with animal skins. An animal died in their place. Abel brought an animal sacrifice to be clothed with the skins of an animal. And Cain, you bring fruit and vegetables. Cain comes to God on his own terms and his own way. Jude describes this the way of Cain. It is false religion, religion on your own terms, in your own way. And our world is filled with false religion that even flies under the banner of Christianity. It is religion on your own terms, in your own way. We can come to God however we want to come to God. I make up the rules. I decide what is right and wrong. I bring the sacrifice that I want to bring. And see, this is self-centered worship. Or another way to describe it is self-worship. It is simply the worship of ourselves. It is not love for God. It is not humility before God. It is not righteousness before God. It is self-worship. You cannot choose sin and fellowship with God. You cannot embrace your sin and know God. They are mutually exclusive. Sin is darkness. God is light. How can we have fellowship with the light and yet walk in darkness. You can't do it. And so God rejects Cain. He says, you can't just make up the rules. You can't make up how you want to sacrifice to me. It doesn't work this way. Which leads to scene three. Sin and murder. Sin and murder. See, Cain's false religion is what sets the table for murder. A lot of times people think that just religion in general, there's virtue in religion in general that doesn't really matter what the faith is. It doesn't matter really what you believe as long as you're spiritual and maybe you have some sort of faith that it, that will make you a better person. But all of the evidence throughout human history 
and everything in the scriptures would tell us otherwise. That there is no inherent virtue in religion. It must be true. We must worship the one true God. It is false religion that gives birth to murder. And God knows it. He knows what's happening in Cain's heart. And at the same time, it is God who pursues Cain with kindness. I love this about the Lord. That even even as we rebel against him, even as we spit in his face, it is the Lord who comes after us. It is the Lord who came to Adam and Eve in the garden. It is the Lord who comes to Cain in his fallen, rebellious heart. It is the Lord Jesus who washes the feet of Judas just hours before Judas would betray him. It is the Lord who pursues us with kindness. He comes after us with his mercy. Cain is depressed because of his sin, because he's walking in the darkness, but God moves towards Cain graciously, and he gives him a warning, that this warning is, is a gift of mercy towards Cain. He's instructing Cain. He's trying to help Cain understand what he's doing, and dear friends, we must pay attention to this warning, because the same fallen nature that Cain had is the same fallen nature that you have. We all have the same fallen nature. We are born of Adam. We have a fallen condition in our hearts. And so we see the warning in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? Verse 7, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now in verse 7, we see three truths about sin. Truth number one, Sin is crouching at the door. Do you see this in verse 7? That sin is crouching at the door. Sin is a lion. It is a predator. It is not your friend. It is crouching at the door. Which door? It is crouching at the door of your heart. That our primary problem is not the sin in the world getting into us. Our problem is that the sin of our hearts get into the world. It flows from us into the world, that our hearts are fallen. And so there is a battle that rages inside of every human heart. Now, this is one of my favorite pictures that I think highlights the reality of what we're talking about here. Now, you see that guy? I don't even know if this is a real picture, but in theory, there's this guy sitting in a tent, and he's, in theory, should be, he should be on guard. He's away from his gun, and a lion walks right up to him. He's at the door. He's right there in front of him. And you want to tell that guy, hey, buddy, you got to be on guard. You got to pay attention to what you're doing. Don't you know the danger of what is happening? And God is warning Cain. He says, Cain, I know you're upset here. I know you're mad. I know you feel bad. But sin is crouching at your door. Don't you know what's going on? Truth number two is that sin desires you. It desires you. It's crouching at the door and it desires you. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, to rule over you, to become your master. Sin desires to own more and more of your life. Sin is a parasite that is burrowing deeper and deeper into your soul. James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire is 
has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is grown, it gives birth to death. See, the root of temptation in our lives is our own heart. It flows from within us. And it says that evil desires, there's a, there's a, a process that we go through that evil desires conceive in our hearts and it gives birth to sin, that you have baby sins. This is the way that it works. This is the imagery. It conceives, and then it gives birth to baby sins. Now, now, now do you know what these creatures are right here, if you want to put that picture up? Um, these are little monsters. That's what they are. These are baby grizzly bears. Now, imagine if you came across these two little guys in the forest, and you just knew that the, the mama bear is nowhere to be found. You're safe from the mama bear. I would be tempted to pick one of these things up, I would go grab it, I would just, at least I would look at it. I would, I would be very tempted to pick it up because the, these two do, I mean, they are not intimidating at all. I don't, like, there's no terror in my heart when I see these two little guys. And because of that, people will handle them. So uh, I read a story this week about a man, if you want to go to the next uh, picture, a man, he found two baby bears, and they were small, and there was no mama to be found, so he says, I need to be a hero. I'm going gra- to grab these two, and I'm going to raise these two bears. And in this situation, that man is in control. He's actually in control. Like if those bears come after him, rawr, rawr, you know, he can just deal with them. And that's the way that it works. And this is the way it works in our hearts, that we, we over time, we develop pet sins, Baby pet sins, and we raise them. I mean, what do you do with a baby? You protect them, and you care for them, and you feed them. The problem is that sin grows up. Sin grows up. And if you're taking care of these two little baby, baby bears from birth, you're going to tend to think that you're in control. Because you're in control when they're little, they get a little bigger, and I'm still in control. You get a little bigger, I'm still in control. You get a little bigger, I'm still in control. You believe the illusion that you're still in control. Verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. That death comes when sin matures. Death does not come until sin matures. Here's a quick video of what I'm uh, talking about here. Uh, Изумительные кадры. I saw that video and I just thought, um, this is what we do. This is what we do. We, we raise our sin. And what you know about this guy is that this man is not in control. He is at the mercy of the bear. The bear rules over him. The bear is in charge. It's pretty sad. Three days after this video was taken, this guy was killed by the bear. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen, but, but you wouldn't be surprised. You would say, of course that happened. He might have been. I actually didn't verify that as I'm thinking about it. But 
But you, you wouldn't be surprised. You would say, of course, like, why would you be surprised by that? The bear is in control. So let me ask you, um, why does someone commit adultery? Why does someone take a bunch of money from a church or from a business? Why do, they, why do you steal? How do you get addicted to drugs? And the list just goes on and on and on and on. And what happens is that when sin conceives in our hearts and we have these little baby sins, we protect them and we nurture them. But when sin matures, we do what we thought we would never do. Someone said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. And the great irony of this quote is that it was made by Ravi Zacharias. That Ravi, the alleged man of God who preached for 50 years, was nurturing all of these sins in secret. And then eventually his sins matured and they came rushing into the light. And so God in his mercy, he is warning Cain. He is warning Cain. He says, pay attention. Do you understand what's going on? This is the way that it works. Which leads to the third truth, which is that you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Verse 7, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He says, lock the door. Go to war. You, gotta, you must lock the door. You must rule over your sin. And you do this by obeying God. Do you see this in verse 7? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. How? By doing what is right. Trusting God, doing what is right, obeying God from the heart. And as moral agents, there is no neutrality in the battle. There's no neutrality. John Owen famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. But Cain does not heed the warning. He nurtures his anger. He nurtures his pride. He nurtures his resentment. And then he says to Abel, Verse 8, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Why does he kill Abel? First John 3.12, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous, which makes no sense. He's mad at God and he wants to kill God, but he can't. So he kills the one who reflects the glory of God in the world. So he goes after him. Now, what do we learn from this story? I mean, it's such a sad story. Cain says to God, okay, God, you want a blood sacrifice? I'll give you one. So sad. So what do we learn? Well, there are two lessons we must learn. First, glory in the gospel. Glory in the gospel. Verse 10, Genesis 4.10. Then he said... What have you done? This is what God says to Cain. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now the word cries here, it means to shriek or scream. Shriek or scream. That the blood of Abel is crying out to God in the presence of God for justice. God, you must do something. You must issue punishment. 
So in verse 11, this is what God says, now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on earth. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Does anyone feel sorry for Cain at this point? I don't think so. Since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. So we, we must note this, that to sin is to be cursed by God. To sin is to be banished from his presence. To sin is to disorder all of your relationships. And the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, reflects on the blood of Abel. He says in verse 24, he says that we have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. I love this. The blood of Cain, or the blood of Abel, cries out for justice. The blood of Abel cries out for justice. But what about the blood of Jesus? It is the blood of Jesus that cries out for mercy. It is easy to see how right it would be for God to punish Cain because he shed the blood of Abel. But did you know it would be just as right for God, God would be just as right to punish you. That you are as worthy of hell as Cain. That we are as worthy of hell as Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler. We have missed the mark. We have not upheld the standard of God. And Christ came, the good news is that Christ came into the world to be cursed for us. That at the cross, the curse that we deserve for our sin was laid on Christ. I made this note uh, this week that the blood of Abel banished Cain from the presence of God. It's the blood of Abel that said to Cain, go. It banished Cain from the presence of God. But the blood of Jesus brings us into the presence of God. How do you come into the presence of God as a sinner? It is by, it is by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot come on your own merits. You cannot come in your own righteousness. You cannot come bringing your own sacrifice. We come into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. How do we go boldly into the throne room of God? How do we go boldly to God? We go by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of Abel says to Cain, get out. The blood of Jesus says to us, come in. You can come in. You can fellowship with God through the blood of Christ. And as a Christian, do you know that it would be wrong? As a Christian, if you're in Christ, do you know that it would be wrong for God to punish you for your sin? It would be wrong. In the same way, it would be wrong for God to not punish Cain because of the blood of Abel. It would be wrong for God to not punish Cain for the blood of Abel. And in the same way, it would be wrong for God to punish you because of the blood of Christ. See, it is the blood of Christ that will cry out for all eternity in the presence of God, mercy, mercy, mercy. See, we can, we can go in into the presence of God because Christ was pushed out at the cross. He was banished and he suffered. So Paul says that we have been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And see, that nearness to God, living in the presence of God, understanding his marvelous 
grace, that we are clothed in his righteousness, forgiven completely, the debt has been paid, the work of our salvation has been accomplished, and as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, then we move to the second point, the second lesson, which is war against sin. You war against sin. So let me ask you this morning, do you have baby sins in your life that you are nurturing? Do you have little cute baby sins that you're nurturing? Grievances against other people, lust, hatred, greed. Do you have baby sins in your life that you're nurturing? Do you have secret sins that you are protecting? Do you have mature sins that are ruling over you? I talk to people all the time, and when they're, <clears throat> when they're honest with me, they just say, Dan, I am powerless against this. Their mature sins have risen up, and they are ruling over them. And if you do, brothers and sisters, you must make war. There will be no victory without war. See, Cain's sin ruined all of his relationships. It ruined his relationship with Abel, his parents, himself, and with God. And when sin matures, it will ruin you as well. So how do you make war? First, you need to repent. That the Christian life is a life of repentance. <clears throat> what Cain does is absurd. After he kills Abel, this is what he says in verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He says, I don't know. He just lies to God. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, just this self-righteousness is vile. And I think to myself, why doesn't he just humble him? Just, Cain, turn to the Lord. He'll forgive you. But Cain would rather die than repent. He would rather die than turn from his sin. He would rather die than stand condemned before God. There's no remorse. And so if you want to know the grace of God and the power of God, agree with God about what he says about sin. And call it out in your life. Just come humbly before God and just say, that, this, this attitude, this behavior, this pattern is wrong. And I must turn from it by the grace of God. But if you do not name it, if you do not identify it, you'll never turn from it. Number two, confess it. Confess it. Sin thrives in darkness. Sin dies in the light. Sin thrives in darkness and it thrives. I mean, it, sin, I'm sorry. Sin thrives in the darkness and it dies in the light. If you keep your sin a secret and you protect it from God and others, it will only grow. See, it's the blood of Christ that says, Come in. He says, you can come to me. I know you're worthy of hell. I know you should die, but I died for you. So come into the light. That's what he says. Cain could have repented, but he ran away and he hid. Verse 16, then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And there is no redemption when you run and hide. You come into the light by the blood of Christ. So confess. Confess just, Lord, what I've been doing is wrong. Repent, confess. Number three, believe and obey. Believe and obey. Verse seven. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? 
God is saying to Cain, do what is right. You need to do what you know to be right. Believe and obey me. Brothers and sisters, it is hard to be righteous. It is hard to follow Jesus. Righteousness is not for wimps. It's not for soft people who want comfort and ease. Walking with the Lord, it is a battle. Matthew chapter 7, 14, verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. But it is a road, it is a path, it is a way that is worth going down. Because on that path is the Lord Jesus Christ. On that path is life. On that path is joy. And that, on that path is the power over sin. And on that path is eternal life. So come into the light, trust the Lord, glory in the gospel, and make war by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for what you have done for us. We thank you for the cross. Lord, it's, it's the cross that shows us who you are, that you are a merciful save, Savior. And, and so, Father, we just ask, help us to live righteously by your grace. I pray that we would be the most joyful people on the planet. I pray that we would put to death what remains, to the, what remains in the flesh, that we might honor you, that we might know the freedom of knowing you, following you, Lord, lust is a terrible master. Bitterness is a terrible master. Hatred is a terrible master. But Lord Jesus, you're a great savior. Help us to follow you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.